Okay, people, it is part two of this week's Echo Chamber, and we promise you some good shit. Promise you some good shit. And so this time we have got a look at a new documentary. Plus, we sit down with the director, people. So, hey, and this one is intriguing. It's intriguing as shit. All right, so let's not waste any time and let's get into it, shall we? Okay, people, so let's start off with this new documentary, Batman and Me. Okay, so people, this one, this one is curious as hell, right? It is a documentary about a Batman collector. Like, I'm going to say, like, he's not going out there kidnapping George Clooney, Robert Patterson, and the like. No, no, no. What I mean is he collects Batman memorabilia, right? Now, you might go to yourself, why the fuck do I want to watch that? But it's not just that. Is there's an underbelly to it, right? Which makes it so frigging fascinating, okay? So it is uh, the new film from director Michael Wayne, right? A very fitting name for a, uh, a, a guy making a film about Batman, you know? Um, he also wrote the film along with Andrew Martin and Rebecca Richardson, you know, so, um, yeah, Martin and Wayne produced the film, music is from Scott Moosley, um, Martin is a cinematographer, Wayne and Martin also edit the film, um, sound is from Adrian Blinsky, and Lisa Congilio, um, yeah, she helps out on the film. Now, it basically around Darren Maxwell, his girlfriend, Linda, and his best friend, Peter Sims, a.k.a. MCP, I believe it is. I think that is, right? Now, the gist is this, right? So, Darren Maxwell became addicted to collecting Batman merchandise in late 1980s Australia as a way to be part of a nascent geek culture. Decades later, Darren stuck with a room full of collectibles, a membership card to a fandom he no longer recognizes. Yet... Powerful forces beyond his control mean he's unable to let go. Batman and Me is a sobering look at the highs and lows of obsessive collecting in an increasingly pop culture, pop culture centric world and the price of admission to fandom. So, yeah, that is the crux of it all. All right. And you know, we, we come into the film through Michael's, like, thoughts around collecting. Because, you know, he tells a tale about how when he was a kid, right, he, he got these Batman magazines and he got this 
you know, this slime, Batman slime. And he one day saw this other thing about, you know, collecting and Batman. And he saw a guy with a collection who had the Batman slime. And he's like, oh, I had that. Huh. Wonder if I could get it again. And so in this hunt, he came across Darren. Right. And um, yeah, he, he was just intrigued because Darren had a website. But the way he talked about his collection was like he hated the collection. Right. And when we meet Darren here, yeah, he, he, it's very odd, right? The way he will talk about it, but he's still in it, right? He, he's not trying to extricate himself from it all, it would seem. So we get these tales, right? These tales of, oh, yeah, so this is how I started, and Oh, and it led to this and blah, 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 bum. And, you know, I, I was just following what these people were doing and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, hmm, okay. But, right, so you just think, okay, that's a doc. Is this the documentary? Right? But about, I don't know, 20 minutes in, Michael poses a very interesting question around, you know, the reasons for collecting, right? And what is the real story? And at this point, right, you you kind of look at it in a way that I'm seeing a lot of contradictions here, right? And some of the things he's saying don't really add up. Right, some of the reasoning behind this and why he's got that. I you also look at the way he's displaying this collection. You know what I mean? It, it's just like when we look at other people who have been collecting, everything is in a way that you can see it and enjoy it, you know. And I mean, like enjoy it to the extent of, oh look, I've got this. <laughs> You mean it's still sealed in its body, like, but Darren, everything is just stacked up so that you could imagine you're gonna forget that you have certain things, right? Because it's just like if you can't see it, how are you gonna remember? And he is literally just buying anything, right? It is just. Because I've known people that buy and collect things, right? And there's a bit like, oh, you know what? I saw this piece of art from this artist who I really enjoy. I need to get that. Or, oh, fuck, there's a Japanese version of that. Oh, man, it's limited edition. I wonder if I can get old, right? And, and they will talk about it like this, right? It's not just, oh, I guess I need to buy the new Colgate edition Batman toothpaste. You know what I mean? When it's like, uh, usually I use your know, arm and hammer toothpaste, but all right, I'll buy this. But be like, you know what I mean? Just weird things that you just 
why would I buy that? Like, I have no interest in that, right? But that's Darren. He's literally buying everything and anything, right? There is no quality control. So we see all of this and, you know, the, the justifications for it all. Then we have the way he talks about other people. And it's an odd one because it's not, well, I mean, it comes off mean, right? It comes off mean. The way he talks about his best friend, when I, when I say the way he talks about like his best friend's collection, right? And the way he collects and stuff like that, it's always a bit like, hey, little guy did all right. Mine is bigger. Right, mine's more impressive, mine's more disturbing. Like, not saying those words, but kind of the implications are there, you know. And then his girlfriend is collecting stuff, and it's just like, oh, do we need more of this? And blah blah blah. And it's just like, yo, son, she's supporting you in your craziness, but the way you it's just like. I'm the one that understands how to collect. You guys don't. But then on the flip, he's just like, oh, yeah, this is my best friend. And, oh, and my girlfriend, I love her and blah, blah, blah. And so on one hand, he talks about them like, oh, these are my family. I really care for them, blah, blah, blah. But then when it comes to collection, it's just like, Phew. Phew. People don't understand how to do it, right? And he, he, we go to conventions and we see the cosplayers and the way he refers to them and just other things. It is, oh, very interesting because, as I said, the contradictions, the contradictions are rife, people, which then makes you wonder about the real motivations here. You know what I mean? The, the real reasons for it. And it does seem there is just this yearning to belong to something. This yearning to belong, which is fascinating. When you then learn this other stuff about him, and it's just like, yo, wait, what? Like, if there is that, why is there this? You know, it, Darren Maxwell is a paradox. It is crazy. And Michael does a fantastic job of, you know, displaying all of this. Right. And he does it also in a way where he's not mocking Darren. You know what I mean? You you can see that he's trying to be respectful, but also do the job of posing questions to the viewer, you know? So, as I said, look, where you might go, why would I watch a film about a guy that collects Batman stuff? Batman and me... It is more than that. It's this very interesting look at this thing that you think I wouldn't care about. But you're watching it thinking, yo, what is happening here? What's going on? And then, you know, 
you you question the justifications and just everything like that. It is it's crazy. People is crazy, and it is out on all your favorite VODs from Tuesday the 9th of March. So yeah, I would definitely say this is a worth a look. And it's funny that it's dropping now, right? Because the Batman from old Matty Boy Reeves has just hit cinemas, right? Or it's just about to hit cinemas, you know? So, hey, it does seem like, yo, this is a, an interesting counterpoint to that. Right? So, yeah, people, it might seem that it isn't something you're going to want to watch. Trust me, Batman and me, yeah, it is definitely intriguing. And it's going to have you be like, <laughs> what is happening here? So, yeah, people, if you like memorabilia, collecting, comic books and all of that, I think Batman and me might very well be for you. Okay, so now we've done that, let us get into our great conversation with the man himself, Michael Wayne. Okay, people, so I am joined by director Michael Wayne, which does seem very fitting, right? Michael Wayne, I, I, I feel Darren might not have done this if your surname was something else. You know it, would have been, it would have been all over. <laughs> but yeah, Michael is the director of Batman and Me, a new documentary. So, um, Michael, thank you for joining me. Um, Thanks very much for having me. Um, so it's an it's an odd documentary in the fact that I don't know if a lot of people would have thought, oh, let me make a documentary about a guy that collects Batman memorabilia. So what was the thing that kind of got you thinking, all right, I think this can work? What it was was um not the fact that he was uh a batman collector or even to the level that he was on i mean i think i think that he probably has the biggest collection in australia but i could be wrong he doesn't he doesn't think so but um i think he's got about 1200 items individually and that's not that impressive what impressed me and what made me think there's something there was the fact that he um he was showcasing all these items on a website uh and he had all these photos up and he'd written all this commentary to go with it and he just sounded like he hated it he sounded like, oh, I've got all this stuff and I just don't care. I've, I've got this stuff. It doesn't impress me. It's just plastic junk. I that's There's something there that's um, unusual. I thought that was worth exploring because usually collectors are so about presenting their um, collections and they're proud of them and it means something to them. But this, it felt like it meant nothing to him and I had to know more. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was... A it's interesting, right? Because I think you start the documentary and you're kind of, you know, he's talking about stuff and all of that, but then you kind of pose the question, is this true? Right? And I think that's that's the crux of it all, because there is a lot of times in this that I'm thinking to myself, 
I don't know if I believe him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he... did you did you kind of by the end of it, and especially, you know, when you revisit it, did you kind of think to yourself, I don't know if he's telling me the truth? I think there were times where he had come up with the truth for himself to justify what he had done. I think that when he stepped back and realized, I don't care about this stuff. I've spent all this money. I've dedicated all these years to my life. How can I process that for myself and feel comfortable with it? I think he had to come up with um, his own truth and stories to um, to justify it. And he was full of stories. He had lots of lots mm. of well-rehearsed stories about how the stuff had come about and how he'd gotten this and that. But what he couldn't do was I was I wasn't able to walk into the room with him and point to any one thing and say, can you tell me the story of that? I think any other collector you'd be able to get a story about, yes, I got this and this is why I got this and this is what it means in the greater context of the collection. But yeah. he just went, no, nah, I, I would have gotten it from a shop somewhere, I don't know, and put it on the shelf and then walked away and... It wasn't, I don't think it was that he was lying, but I think that it just, he had to justify it in a way to himself that um, that made him feel comfortable with his decisions. But the yeah, more you no, pushed I... him on it, uh, the more you pushed him, um, then it started to unravel. And that's when it really got interesting. Yeah, no, that I think that's the thing, right? Because yeah, he's convinced, it, it did feel that he's convinced himself of a thing. But then the more he talks, and especially when um MPS, yeah, MPS came into it, then you're and especially more with his wife, well, Linda, you know, the girlfriend, right? It's um the more those two people were in it, the more you kind of saw holes in the things that he was telling you. And I was a bit like huh, this is, this is really freaking interesting because he's saying one thing and then he contradicts himself with something else. And you're just like, yo, what's the truth here? You know? There were some things that would come up like that. I mean, there's a part in the film where he, um, and it's a big moment in his life where he talks about the moment that he stopped collecting. He started with the 1989 um the first Batman film then, that was mm. what got him into it. But the George Clooney Batman and Robin in 1997, that's the film that killed it for him. He hated the film so much. Yeah. The stuff. And he, the way he tells it, and he tells it, he told us about four, five or six different ways, but it was still the same story. And it was just so rehearsed in that way, I found that um, astonishing that he was able to do that. But the story went, according to him, he went to the shop, he was looking at some item, he said it was a rubber um a sort of eraser of batman's head he was looking at it and he couldn't make the decision to buy it so he put it back on the shelf and he walked off so we did a little reenactment with it i bought one of the uh erasers off ebay we took him out of the shop we did the reenactment he was saying yep yep i walked away that was it i never did it we went back into the bat room and what was on the shelf <laughs> but one of those is exactly the same thing and i thought oh man like what what is true what what is what is real about this yeah, because I, I thought that was interesting in the way he talked about it, because he was just like, oh, I hated the film, and why am I going to buy stuff for a film I hated? But then earlier, he's just like, 
well, it's not like I like these things, but I just bought them because they were Batman. And it's just like, well, if that's the mentality, it doesn't matter if you like the film. Because you were buying things that you were like, yeah, I didn't really like this, but I bought it because it's Batman. So it's just like, wait, so, but now you're saying you're not buying things because you don't like the film and you don't like the item when that never mattered. So it's just this, this odd kind of thing going on there. Mm. I, think, I think for him too, it was the, um, the public image which meant a lot to him. I think that as long as he was seen to be doing it, um he his friends would accept him the community the fan community he was in would accept him um as long as when they came to his house and he was able to say i've got some new stuff they'd be cool with that they'd be he'd be able to get away with it for a little bit longer but i think that when he came up against batman and robin which was a film that nobody liked at the time um <laughs> he wasn't able to justify that at all like with the with the earlier films he could say you look they're really popular so i might not like them but other people will like them and i'll be impressive because i bought all this stuff uh, batman and robin it just wasn't going to wash uh what was interesting to me though was that he never got back into it with the newer films that have been even more popular well th yeah that that was a bit because you know christopher nolan's Batman films, the first two very good, I don't know about the last one, but I think it's fair to say that people are kind of saying they're the best Batman films, right? So, it, yeah, that's mm. the thing. And it's just like for, for the, this thing that you supposedly really loved, you're, you didn't come back for those even after everyone, like universally, were like, these are great. These are great mm. films. And, you know, when, when you look at the production level of posters and just items now, that it's far better than some of the stuff that he's probably got. It was a bit like, yeah, I wonder what, what's, what's going on there. And yet, if he had, um, I might not have found him because it wasn't the stuff today. Yeah, it's very sleek, it's very glossy, and it's there's so much of it, and the quality is very high. But it doesn't have the sort of charm that it did have back in the '80s when they were still trying to work out how to mass market these things. I think that um, Star Wars set the pace for merchandise. Yes, but that Batman film really took it to another level. And he, his his main thing was the the '80s and 90s um and that's when i was a kid that's when i had the stuff that's how i found him because i was in a moment of weakness um searching for this stuff online and seeing if i could <laughs> yeah you're batman slime <laughs> some uh, long forgotten part of my mind but um yeah he uh he if he'd had the newest stuff i don't think it would have been as impressive because it's it's clearly meant for uh collectors to do that yeah. with but Back in his day, in the late 80s, especially in Australia, where it's a, a bit harder to do that kind of thing, um, he was doing what a lot of people are doing now. So I think that he was pioneering it in a way, but he, he didn't really have any kind of blueprint. He was just getting everything he could. Yeah, there is a, a weird kind of um, kitsch. Is that a word, would you say, to get to, to those old items? Because it was literally... Biz Lucas, I think he, he signed that back end, wasn't it? He, so no money on the front, but he had all the merchandising. So then it was just like, 
we're just gonna do anything. And that was the that was the weird thing back in the day that they really just did anything. Like stuff that you're just like, what? <laughs> like that doesn't Batman oven glance? Like that makes no sense, really. Why are we doing that? But they just did it. They turned out anything. So you had these weird items that, yeah, like you wouldn't get today. So when you see them, you're like, oh, that's so bizarre. And it's got that weird kind of charm to it. So I do think you're right that, yeah, if, if he was collecting the stuff now, it wouldn't hold the same effect as it, it, it did when he was um, doing his thing. But he, his it, story is just, uh, it's an interesting one. It is. It, it does say a lot about the power of merchandise. And it, for a film that he says, he admits that he didn't really, wasn't really that into the first Batman film, um, the merchandise was really what did it for him. Um, I think back when I was a kid, um, in, in about 1990, there were two big kind of um, pop culture films came out, Predator 2 and Robocop 2. And they're mm. not for kids. Kids shouldn't be watching them. But the reason all the kids in my school knew about RoboCop 2 and not Predator 2 is that RoboCop 2 had the bubblegum cards. You could go down to the shop and any kid could just buy a packet of these cards that came with a stick of gum and some stickers or whatever. Predator 2 didn't have that. But it got the kids talking about this R-rated movie in the playground. It's All it takes is one, uh, the right piece of merchandise to the right audience and you can get these films into people who wouldn't, might not normally be able to see them. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, Robocop 1, right? Because I think Predator 1 was an 18 for sure, but was Robocop 1 an 18? I think, well, it was here. Here it was um, Here it was R, and Robocop 2 was as well. Predator, not mm. as much, but Predator 2 was, I think. Um but they just didn't have, like now. If a movie like that came out, there'd be statues and collectibles. Oh and, yeah, yeah. But no, then at the time, no. Um, but Batman really did break that ground, and and the stuff was just everywhere. And this guy managed to get. It, it wouldn't even be close to all of it, but it was still a staggering amount. When I went to his place and saw this Batman stuff in his room, because he had a room in his house that's dedicated to the Batman stuff. Uh, it had just had a little logo on the door, and that's the only way you knew it was there. It wasn't all throughout his house. He, his mm. house was quite normal. Um, but once you went in there, it was just everywhere. The colours and the um, the ingenuity, I think, in, in some of the stuff they'd put the logo on and just say, that's a, that's that's part of it. Just, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, for you, like, because, you know, you had the slime back in the day and and you know bits mm. and bobs but what did that all mean to you because i think it, i think it's interesting the way he talks about this scene right because i like i i bought comic books and stuff like that but i was never i must own every single comic book right there was mm. certain things that i read and i was like i'm gonna buy that because I enjoy the writing, I enjoy the art. And then if the writer changed and I didn't like the writing, I'm like, eh, nah, I'm not buying stuff I don't want to read. Mm. But I bought the things I wanted and it was just, just that, right? And, you know, statues and things like that. I'm just like, well, I don't need statues. I haven't got the room for statues. I might buy this one thing, but that's it. 
it, it wasn't this whole thing of I must have every single thing attached. Mm. But what was it like for yourself? How did you kind of view all of that kind of thing? Well, I suppose I'm like you. I had I had some comics. I had toys that I would play with, and if I didn't, if I couldn't play with them, I didn't need them. So I'd only get the ones that I would need to all whatever you were given really at the time, mm. um, and you'd make that work. But he was someone who was just buying it all and then not using it. So when you yeah. go into the room, you wouldn't see any of it. It'd all be still in the packet. So you'd appreciate it for what it was. You think, oh yeah, that was that's that's how they were. Yeah, I remember having that. But then because you couldn't do anything else with it, you couldn't touch it, you couldn't really get any closer to it, the packet sort of kept it at bay, um, it didn't really mean much more. And that meant that it got the, – the the being in his room and the overwhelming feeling at first of, wow, look at all this stuff in this great condition, it wore off pretty quick. Yes. Yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting – um, analysis that you made in the film because I think mean, that does speak to it and especially when you look at the way there's uh is it Michael Dreschler Michael Dresch Dreschler the original Australian dude that had the collection um the way That's he right. yeah the way he had everything set out you could really see it you know he had the cabinets and everything like that but Darren it was just kind of all stacked on top of each other. So you mm -hmm. couldn't really see it. So, yeah, so it's just like, if you can't see it, you're going to forget you've got it, or it's just not going to really jump out at you when you go in there. So it's just like, yeah, I, I think that was a big part of it. As you, you, you know, you said, it's just like the attachment doesn't hold you because you, it's not tangible. Well, it has to – we spoke to a collector the other day um, and a big Batman fan, uh, Ralph Garman, who's an American collector. He's got he's, – he focuses on the 60s show with Adam West and he's got uh, props that they used on the show, gloves, part of the costumes, um, and it's all set out in his room uh, really carefully. It's got the right cabinets, the right lighting and everything, so it can be seen and enjoyed. Mm. If you're not doing that and if you're not – taking any personal interest in this stuff itself. It comes through and it doesn't um, – Darren, our guy, would tell us, oh, people would come around and sometimes I'd be afraid to show them the collection because they'd look at it and and they wouldn't be into it. It's hard to be into it when you're not into it. And it's, yes. it was interesting to me that he wouldn't take that extra step of choosing something that he was into. And Darren's uh, real – Point of interest is star wars he's a massive star wars fan he started one of the first um uh star wars, one of the oldest star wars fan clubs in the world and it's still going the australian um unofficial star wars fan club he's lived that life but he never wanted to get into collecting for star wars because he said it's too big and i'm too competitive so all my friends who are collecting it within that community i'd have to compete against them i don't want to do it so it was easier for him to do batman because no one else was doing it he didn't have to compete Mm. I think what we want to say with the film is is collecting is an uh, when, when it's an ex it's a valid expression of your fandom like it's uh, just as much as cosplay is but are you doing it for the right reasons and I just found it very interesting that this guy was seemed to be doing it for all the wrong reasons yet it still built up this enormous collection yeah yeah it, it, it was 
also interesting when you got to the cosplay bit and his views on cosplay. Even when he's just like, oh, yeah, I went to see the first Batman film and I dressed up as Batman. But then he's just like, people that just dress up, I, they're not the same as me. They they don't have. But then he's just, because it was just like um, something along the lines of, right, if you just wear the clothes but know nothing about it, then I don't really have respect for you. But then he's just like. I don't really know anything about Batman. Mm. Like a lot of my <laughs> friends, they know the history and blah, blah, blah. I don't really know anything about Batman. It's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just said these cosplay mm. people, you have no respect because they don't know, but you don't know. So what yeah, it, it's this I kind of felt it's this chase for identity mm. that, that he was on. And he he's kind of always grasping at it. And that's why he's he didn't get rid of the collection because it's just like if I get rid of it, then who am I? That's right. I mean, he he stopped collecting in 1997, but he never got rid of it. And a lot of people will stop and then instantly sell it. They're going to mm. move on from that part of their life. They're going to get rid of it, free up the space in the house, get themselves some money, try and try and get back what they put into it. But he hasn't. He's still got it. And since we finished the film, he has boxed it up and taken it out of the room. He's turned the room into a gym at home and it's completely bereft now of Batman oh. stuff. But he's still got the stuff in a storage uh, shed. So he's paying now to keep it stored and he's still got it. <laughs> yeah, that was an inter... Like when, you know, they were talking about that towards the end, it was like, um, wait, you're going to store it? What? Sell it because yeah. you know he talked about his friend who got him into it all, mm. who got a car. <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? And then you know, MPS is like, Oh, I'd buy it. So he's just like, Wait, why would you store it when you know this guy's gonna buy it? So even if he doesn't have all the money right now, just you know, work something out, and then you don't have to waste your money on. It's, it's an interesting, um, it's, yeah, it's an interesting situation. And it must have been so hurtful for MPS. Because uh, Darren stopped collecting. He got into other things. He did replace what he didn't, even though he didn't replace the, he didn't get rid of the stuff and replace it. He did move on with his life and got into new hobbies. He never collected again after he mm. gave up the Batman collecting, but he got into filmmaking because he wanted to make that his new identity. Yeah. Um, and while he was doing it, he met a he met his was now one of his best friends, and he was a Batman collector, so he couldn't really escape it. There it was again in his face. And this guy says to him at one point, "Yeah, yeah, I'll buy it. I want to buy it. Um, I can't do it yet, but I will." And we go to his place, and we go to uh, the friend's house, and we check out his collection, and it's very different. Mm. He collects in a totally different way. He's got uh, the statues and stuff unboxed, and he's got them on display with the little cabinets and the lighting and all that. And uh, how he must have felt when Darren chose to just box it up and put it in a shed rather than let him have it. Like, it just feels like such a slap in the face. Yeah. But did you, because I thought those interactions were interesting, right? And, and also with Linda as well, mm. right? Because I don't, I don't know if it was just me. 
right? But I felt there was a little bit of meanness there from Darren. Because mm. it was just like when MPS is just like, oh, yeah, so this is, you know, I, I view these as collectibles. He's like, well, if it's unboxed, it's a toy. <laughs> and, and he would like make these little comments. You're just like, Yo, son, there's no need for that. Like, what, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, you're shitting on your friend and then with his wife, girlfriend with the teddy bears. And it was just like, don't know if we need all of these. And she's like, she's supporting you. You know, your mm. collection, buying you things, saying, don't sell it, keep it, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, huh, teddy bears. Huh, how stupid is that? And it's just mm. like, yo, what's happening here? This is very odd. And that's, for me, that's what made him, I mean, he's, something like, a movie like this um, lives and dies by the personality of the, whoever's being profiled. And I think that because he had all these contradictions, because he was so oblivious at times to the hypocrisy that seemed to be going on within some of his arguments, I think that mm. made it more interesting, far more interesting than it ever could be could have been if he had just been, yep, I collect this stuff, I love it, here it is, check it out. I think that if it had been that, um, it wouldn't have been worth doing. I think that it had to be, there had to be some kind of conflict in it. And he was, he just did, and and you're right, he did seem like he was um, mean about it, but I wonder if a lot of that was sort of, he was he was trying to turn it on himself, that he that's how he felt about himself, and he was just going to take it out on others as well. Um, because he just, I think he does have a lot of, self-resentment about what he did and why he spent all that money and time in his life doing what he did. Yeah, I, I definitely think that comes across because he tell these odd little stories or make these analogies. Like there was a point where he was saying that, um, oh, yeah, it's just something about like meeting girls and, uh, you know, it, I think it can hold you back and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, well, technically, you don't have to tell the girl. Yeah. Right? It's, it's just like, you, she's not going to look at you and be like, hold on a second. You look like you collect Batman stuff. It's just like, this is a thing that you don't have to, because chances are, right, she might collect shoes or handbags or whatever, whatever. Because there is that thing which I think MPS said that, you know, everyone kind of collects something, mm. which is, you know, I think that is a, a thing, like most people, but it's just how you look at these things. Mm. So you wouldn't have to necessarily say to the girl, be like, um, yeah, I, I, I collect Batman. Like, um, is that okay? Like, no, you don't have to. And especially out the gate. Mm. But it was like these things that he would kind of say to kind of justify how his life had been going on and the things that he'd done, choices that he'd made. And that you could kind of see that all the way through. Yeah. Do you do you collect anything? No, not really. Like, as I said, like I buy comic books because there, there's some comic books I enjoy reading. But mm. that's all, you know, I, I stopped buying physical stuff mm. because, you know, I've got bad eyesight and it's hard to see. And as soon as the Comixology app came out, it's just like, oh, shit, this makes it so much easier to read stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I, I, 
that's the thing. I get audio books. I, so I use Audible. So there's not really any, you know, physical thing that I buy, right, just to have. And mm. I was never a fan of, like, because even when I was buying comic books, there was friends that I had that were like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm buying two of this because I think it's going to be valuable. And it was mm. like, I never, I was just like, well, I'm buying this to read. So I'm going to read it. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I'll keep it because I enjoy this series, but I'm not keeping it to be like, oh, I think in 10 years time, I can make a load of money off of this. Mm. So I've never really had that. I don't know. It, it just seems a bit, I, I'd say pointless, but it's not like if you collect things, ah, that's stupid. But I'm just trying to think it's, you know, we never had a load of money growing up. Mm. So I just think I look at money and things like that. And it's just like, well, I'm going to use my money for the things I really enjoy. And that's it. I'm not, why am I buying things I don't use? Mm. You know what I mean? And it's, that's, I think, um, something can be frustrating when you watch um, Darren's story, because he's just buying this stuff that he will never use. Mm. And, really is worthless. Like I think that a lot of the stuff that he bought and he says it was an investment. Um, yeah. It was the mass produced late eighties kind of stuff. There's just so much of it out there that really it's not worth much more than he would have paid for it back then. Um, I think if you're going to do it as an investment, you've got to be quite canny in, in what you're buying and know, know that it's going to, for whatever reason, um, improve its value in the future. But when you're just going into the toy shop and buying a Batman action figure, like, nah, <laughs> it's just, nah. Well, yeah, that, that again, that was the interesting thing with MPS because he was just like, MPS is like, oh, like, oh, yeah, and I've got this. And he's like, eh, well, they're kind of mass produced. He's like, well, no, I mean, it, mm. this is like number two of 1,000, so it's not mass produced. And he's like, well, huh. and you're just like, Come on, man, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're just buying a tea cloth, which mm. clearly is mass-produced. So it's a bit... Yeah, there's that interesting thing about the items and why he bought them. Because it was just like, oh, I'm buying this board game. I don't like board games, but I'm just buying this board game. And it's just like, unless it was a limited run... Why buy the board game? I was curious that he couldn't find that original board game. Because mm. I, I was just thinking, this is like, well, when you opened it and then you're like, oh, it's a mistake. Why didn't you just buy another one? Yeah, that's it's it's the back to his contradictions. There were just that many of them where you just think, well, if you just did this you'd probably clear up this this terrible issue that only matters to you. Yeah. At one point, he's talking about he's got a lot of food, Batman food items. He's got, um, <laughs> you know, 30-year-old rice bubbles and, and ice creams and things like that. But then he told us, oh, look, I've got these big bottles of Batman cordial. cordial which he took poured away. And that made no sense to me. Because mm. like, you're like, oh, I poured it away because it was heavy. But it's just yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. but it's open now. 
So if you're not opening these other things, why would you open? Because in that reality, you would just throw away the Rice Krispies because it's just the box. Mm. But you kept the rice. So yeah, I didn't. That bit, I was a. I don't understand that. That makes no sense to me. I think when you collect, you do have to before, before or as you're getting into it, you come up with your own internal logic about how it's going to work. He had these rules that he was going to stick to. He only collected Batman. He didn't have Robin or Riddler or Two Face or whatever. It was just the Batman stuff. He said it was only those films really, and once they films weren't appealing to him anymore that that went away but he didn't then stick to his own logic a lot of the time and there'd be stuff like yeah i'm not going to open anything ever and then there'd be these open bottles cordial in fact we we shot a bit where i bought something sealed and gave it to him to open and we filmed this scene where he opens it and he was just physically repulsed by the action of doing it um and as he was doing it, he was opening it. He was like, ugh, ugh I, I, don't, I hate having to do this. But then he said, but it means mine will be worth more because mine's still sealed. So there's one <laughs> less sealed one in the world. He's always trying to make it work for him. Yeah. Yeah. Like the story that his friends forced him to open a Frisbee. You're like, wait, but how did they force you to open that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> like the stories were... I think what the funniest story for me was um, at the very start where he's just like, oh, you, you see those two um, cups. Interesting thing. I didn't buy those. And you're like, that's not really that interesting. <laughs> that, that's not really an interesting thing. But yeah, he said like he, he made these, this mythos about all the things that he did. Right. And, and I think it was all in service of, of, of creating the identity of I'm the Batman guy. And that's what he was to his friends. And I think he liked it. I think that's mm. I think he really enjoyed being that. And I think that if anything, he resented the Batman and Robin film because it took that away from him. He said he was glad to stop. And the most he could keep squeezing out of it was, well, I've still got it. I have not, might not be actively collecting, but I still have it. So I am still Batman guy. And he says, oh, for my birthdays, people would still get me stuff because they knew I was the Batman guy. And I'd tell them to stop. But I think he enjoyed it. I think he enjoyed the attention of it. And then now, I mean, we've sort of contributed to that by making a film about it. So now he, it's, it sort of plays into that narrative as well because he continues to be the Batman guy now on film. Um, and as a filmmaker himself, I said to him, were you ever tempted to do anything, make a film about your collection or do anything with Batman in it? And he, he had made Star Wars fan films, which are mm. out there and could be seen. But he'd never done anything with the Batman stuff in it at all. And that just spoke to me about how much he just did not care about the IP itself. Yeah, I that was the... When you got to the whole Star Wars bit, it was that was just crazy, but you're just like, wait, 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 wait! You really did this one thing, but you're Batman. Mm. It, 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 it's an odd, it's a, just an odd one. And then you show him on the game show, and like the footage of him in that, you know, fandom menace, mm. and you could see that he 
you know, enjoyed being the center of attention. So it was a bit like you you already had that. Why did you need the Batman? But why did you not like you enjoyed the whole Star Wars fame so much? Why didn't you try and build that more? Because it was already there. The foundation was already laid, as it were. Yeah, I mean, he he he's not someone whose work ever became his identity. A lot of people sort of that the work there, what they do is 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 who they are. It didn't happen for him. Um, he he just found himself defined by this love he had for this stuff that he he watched Star Wars when he was a kid and that took over his life and it just. At, at all opportunities he had, he was able to um, to turn that into his identity. But the collecting, it's it's. He told us early on that he didn't drink or smoke, mm. um, and I think that if he if he had, uh, he might just have an addictive personality. I think that that's again what made it interesting. What made it worthwhile making a film about this guy was that there was so much going on in that way that he wasn't just. Yep, I collect stuff and I love it, and that's why. But there's it's just more to be said, I think. There's more to the conversation about collecting doesn't have to end with it's a great thing to do and I love it. Um he wasn't I wouldn't say he was a hoarder. I wouldn't take it that far because no. I think there is a big difference between doing that and, and what Darren was doing. But it's just that collecting if you do it for the wrong reasons can can be um a destructive force in your life, but something that you're going to be at odds with for a while. Yeah, it kind of seems suffocating, didn't it? Mm. For him. Because that, that's the thing, like hoarding, we'd see the items just all over the house, but mm. it's so confined. And then even in the room, it's all stacked and it's all, you know, has its place. But there's that, that odd thing, like, when he bought the the the, the, the kind of um, the cave, the big mm. Batman cave thing, and he kept it wrapped for years, wrapped for years, and then mm. un- wanted to unveil it when he bought the place, and then he was just like, "And I can never turn it around now." And you're just like, "Huh?" But you you bought it, but then you just didn't want to look at it even before you knew it was damaged and that, that's the yeah. interesting thing it's just like if you really want these things surely you're looking at you you know what I mean what's the enjoyment you're getting out of it because he talked about it because I think that's the thing the stories that he would tell he would tell them like he's getting enjoyment but you never see the enjoyment. It's like, you know, when you read those stories mm. and it's just like, and he smiled, but the smile never met, got to his eyes, <laughs> right? And then that was, you know what I mean? Like with Darren, the enjoyment never got to his eyes. It's like, you're like, yeah, and I bought this and it made me so happy. And you're like, but did it? Did it, was... it make you happy? When we when we first started getting into it, we'd be in that room, and I'd say, you know, one of the one of the most obvious questions I think you'd ask any collector is, "What are some of your favourite things?" And he, you'd ask him this, and he'd say, "Oh, 
yeah, I don't know, but I'll tell you what I hate. And he just bring out this huge list of stuff. I hate this. This looks awful. This look at this is so cheap and dodgy looking. You bought it. <laughs> Why did you pick it if you don't like it? But he just wanted to fill out the the uh, the breadth of the collection rather than the quality of it. He didn't care about uh, the quality, and it was beyond his um, his pay range. I think. I think he just couldn't bring himself to buy one item for a high price when he could get seven items for the same money. Yes. The, the, the thing I really wanted you to ask him, which you didn't, Michael, what his collector voice was. Because he kept oh, saying, he'd be like, yeah. oh, yeah. And so I went up and I used my collector voice. I'm like, what's the collector voice, man? Use your collector voice. I know what this is. Yeah, um, that's a good question, actually. He did, <laughs> yeah, he, he would say that he'd go into the shops and he'd, he'd have this collector identity that he'd have in the shops and he'd, he'd expect certain treatment better treatment mm. um here they've got a theme park up in he's in melbourne which is right down sort of the south of australia and the southeast and i'm in sydney which is a bit further up the east coast but up in brisbane which is further north they've got a big um uh warner brothers theme park there and they've got a batman shop there and you can get all sorts of exclusive batman collectibles so he would go up there and buy stuff and he'd go into the shops and he'd expect to be treated a certain way because he was presenting himself as a Batman collector, but they didn't care. They just wanted his money and they would sell him stuff like anyone else. They wouldn't make any kind of concession for him. But he was he he developed this this way of going into these shops and, and holding himself in that way. Um, and we tried to reenact that with uh, toys. So all throughout the film, he tells stories about his life and we use toys to represent what he's talking about and do little little reenactments as if children are playing with those toys uh and i think it's funny to me that we're telling the story of a guy who kept everything boxed and mint by unboxing toys and telling his story through unboxed <laughs> played with toys it's the only way you could tell that person's story yeah i i did like the whole toy aspect of it right that you're using the different toys to you know enact these like moments of his life right? i thought like what was the thing that was like oh i think this is gonna work let's use toys we well, did one where he he talks about um he tells a story where he would go to his local cinema had a collectible shop next to it when he was when he was younger and a friend of his who collected star wars stuff enticed him into this shop and um he talked him into buying all these original Star Wars posters. And then then he said, and then it got to the point where I would go back to the shop without the friend and buy more stuff. And you think that's when you know that it's starting to take over someone's life. But we thought it's not enough just for him to say it. Let's let's have a look at what that would look like. So we got these toys and sort of acted it out. We thought that's pretty funny. Like it's, it's, it looks amusing. It might be fun to use some of these toys that he's talking about, especially um, – too, there's a scene where he's got a particular Batman toy in his room. It's a it's a figure of Batman riding a horse, and he says, "I've always wondered what this looks like. I just I wonder how good this would look." I thought, "Well, it's not going to look that good, is it? It's just another plastic Batman toy. They all look the same." So we bought one and we opened it and we put it in the film just to show. It's not that exciting. This is all it is. It, it's there's an a, an illustration of Batman on the horse on the front of the box, which looks better than anything you could ever find in the box. Yeah. But the fact that he was still just like, yeah, I wondered what it would look like. I wondered, 
in all these boxes, what how good this stuff would look? Well, no one's putting a gun to your head that you couldn't open it. Or why didn't you just buy two and open one to find out what it looked like? But it, no, it never occurred to him to do any of that. So uh, using the toys was a way to sort of show what these toys were actually for rather than they're not sort of just meant to sit on a shelf and be admired in, as part of a collection. They're really for children to play with, and that's what we were going for with our toy reenactments. Um, and, yeah, the irony of using them, un using unboxed toys to tell the story of the Mint Inbox collector was not lost on us either. <laughs> yeah, it, it was... Um... Yeah, it, it, it was uh, an interesting one when he was talking about, I wondered what they looked like, because it's just like, I, I don't know, because a lot of toy shops here, you would have the displays and they'd often have items out of the box so you could see it. But with a lot of this stuff, your friends had it as well. So, you, you know what I mean? Like, mm. you would see, they they're not keeping their shit in the box. So you would see their stuff or just do a Google search and you could see what the stuff mm. looked like. So I, that was, yeah, I, that never really made much sense when he was talking about this. And I was like, oh, and I always wonder what it looked like. And he was like, but wasn't there a picture in the catalog or, you know, didn't you, someone else have it? Like, you could see these things. And that's it's another thing, like you said earlier, though, where you, you're thinking, why are you telling me this? Why are you saying you always wondered what it looked like? Is it because it makes you seem like you're more engaged with this stuff? Do you feel like you have to say that? Because if you really cared, you would have gone and found out mm. in all this time, in all the time, all the decades since you bought it, yeah. you would have found out if you really cared. But do you? So it's it's it was working out what was really important to him, what really did he care about. Um, and I think the conclusions that we came to in the film really were that it is about identity. Um, and it's just interesting what goes into someone's life that makes them feel like they've got to look for it in that way. Um, that it has been a quest all throughout his life to define an identity for himself. And uh, I think that he settled into who he is now, but uh, it would have been interesting to be able to speak to him back then um, to see how he how he was at the time, to hear the collector voice for one, but also to just see how he would have been uh, at the height of his collecting. Yeah, because you, like, it's like I did wonder how much of it did you actually really want to do and how much of it are you doing just to fit in but it's but in this thing to, where you're doing these things to fit in mm. did these people really care you know what I mean it's just like mm. if you didn't buy the posters are they going well we're not going to talk to him unless he buys the posters <laughs> like, we'd have talked to you anyway like you didn't have to do this stuff for us to talk and hang out and have conversations it's just like, I, I'd be, mm. I'm kind of curious about that. Like, how much of all of this is really in his head and all those people around him were just like, oh, we just kind of like Darren. Like, it, it wasn't like Darren the collector that we liked. He was just like, you know, you know he just, Darren's fine. Mm. He's all right to have around. So, yeah, 
But in he's looking at going, it's like that, you know, the, the stuff you hear about people with like um eating disorders and things like that, where they're looking in the mirror seeing one thing, mm. but everyone else can see something else. And you wonder, is that barren? Mm. Well, it's funny. Um when we, we got into a few festivals with this film, um, and we finished it in 2020, which was the worst timing ever. Yeah, uh, yeah that was no good. Um, we got into a few festivals. We weren't able to attend, but we were on TV here in Australia um, on morning TV. And the host said to – I was on there with Darren, and the host said to him, you said you bought all this stuff because you wanted to impress your friends. Don't you think they just were coming around to see you? And he was sort of like, whoa, like he was blown away by the idea that that could have been possible. And what happened to this guy that he, that he was, that he, his self-esteem had taken such a knock that he felt that way about himself. I felt um, that that's something that was right, really quite far beneath the surface in the film, but it was there that there was something to that. I just, it, it's, it's a shame because he really is um, an entertaining person to be around. He's, he's good company. Uh, and the Batman room had such limited appeal that once you were done with sort of looking around at it, you, you'd move on from that in his house and go mm. and spend time talking to him. And he's lived such a, he's lived such a strange and um, uh, eventful life in terms of fandom and pop culture. He's got so much to say about it, and he's been to so many conventions. He's organised conventions. He's been to the Skywalker Ranch a bunch of times. Uh, we had some clearance issues with the film uh, relating to Star Wars that we were only able to resolve because he had these connections in up in the Lucasfilm hierarchy. They oh, knew damn. him and they were, yeah, they, they knew him and were sort of like, oh, him, yeah, yeah, if you're working with him, yeah, we can help you. Um, so he had all this going for him, but he still was sort of hanging on to the fact that, oh, but if I don't have the Batman stuff, then who am I? But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, that, I, that's the interesting stuff. Mm. Right, like the Star Wars stuff is the inch, it's the yeah, it's the more engaging, interesting stuff, and especially I don't know the way the franchise has been going. You know, like when you, you know, I watched the Book of Boba Fett the other day, which I, I very much enjoyed, right? And it's just like you have all of that, mm. you know, there's comics, there's books, there's video games. And there is stuff with Batman, like, you know, there's the, I think the animated series was very popular, right? And you've got mm. all of this kind of stuff. And yeah, it's now getting the resurgence with the new film and it's getting mm. a TV series and all of that. But it's just like the Star Wars stuff seemed more fertile, but he didn't see it for some weird reason. He's got, um, he does uh, his own um, podcast and sort of web show about pop culture. And one thing he focuses on, which I think isn't focused on that much when it comes to talking about Star Wars, is that sort of time after Return of the Jedi came out, but before the new ones started to come out, where it was sort of dead. Mm. And it's hard to imagine now a time where there was no uh, presence of Star Wars in the, in the community because it's so huge and just so everywhere and they won't leave it alone. They won't ever let it die. No. <laughs> but there was this time where it was gone um, and stuff like Batman and Ghostbusters and things like that were popping up to and the Ninja Turtles uh, were popping up to fill that void. Um, 
and he is dedicated to that time because I think that was when he was in the prime of his um, his youthful fandom, and that time meant a lot to him because he felt like he was trying to keep it going you know, through those those times where no one else was talking about it. He felt quite uh, alone in his passion for it, and that's what drove him to find and sort of create this community for himself. And I don't know. I suppose with the Batman thing, it's the same kind of thing where you. Uh, well, it's almost actually it's almost like the opposite, where the films were very popular. He was collecting then, and then when the films became unpopular, he walked away from it and didn't didn't try to keep it going. And that was yeah. really all you needed to know about how he felt about about the property. Yeah, like he wouldn't give up on Star Wars, but it was real easy to give up on Batman. And he's still into Star Wars. I mean, he still pursues that. He still uh, keeps up with it all. Um, he, yeah, I know these the newer films have been quite polarizing, um, but he's he's stuck with it, and he's watching all the sh the shows and everything now. Um, but that's just his love. That's just what he's all about. And he never had to buy a thing, really. He never had to to spend any money or showcase anything. And it's he's turned that into his identity in a way as well. Mm. It's funny to me that he couldn't um, couldn't see the difference. Yeah, especially when Batman and Robin was the thing to turn you off, but Phantom Menace didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like just well, bad, kind of. Well, you mentioned before he was in a. Um, we were lucky that he had been in, in about 2000, uh, a documentary called The Fandom Menace was released, and it was about Australian Star Wars fans and the community here, including him, and their hype in the lead-up to The Phantom Menace coming out. And it's a very well, it's a very entertaining film. They, they're all hyped. They're all talking about how it's going to be. It follows them right up to the opening night of the film, and then it captures their reactions as they're coming out of the film. Um. And they're all a bit like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, I'll, I need to watch it a couple more times before I. Yeah, and then, like the most hardcore guy in their group, um, the film ends, and it's sorry for the spoiler warning for this twenty-something-year-old film, but he he walks out and he's sort of like, oh, I don't know about that. And this is the most hardcore guy in their group. He's the leader of the Star Wars fan community, and it says he sold it all. Like he. he got rid of everything he had and he walked away from it all for a long time because that film just put him off so much and to see him before that to, to have documented his behavior before that where he's just so into it and he's so hyped and he's like it could be this it could be that oh my imagination's going wild with what this film will be and the letdown um yeah we were lucky that we had footage of darren from that time as well to be able to say this is what he was like he's always sort of been that enthusiastic fan mm. um but even when faced with disappointment, it doesn't always crush him. But this Batman thing, it was just a—it was just an excuse to stop what he was doing. And in fact, he told us that before, uh, and we go into it in the film. Before the Batman collecting, he collected a few other things. He started with Star Wars posters. He started to collect um, LPs, records of of sci-fi movie soundtracks. And he showed us this huge box he had full of all these records of of just. Yeah, uh, soundtracks from these sci-fi movies. And he'd been buying them for years and he would say, even if I hadn't heard of the movie and it just sort of looked like a sci-fi movie, I'd still buy it just to have something in there. And he never played one of them. He wouldn't play them. He'd just keep them all in a packet, in their sleeves and everything. He said, at one point I tried to separate the discs from the sleeves 
and put them on all these wacky plastic containers and stuff, but it didn't work. So he just he had all this stuff. He he collected it all, and then he said, when CDs came in and replaced records, it was a relief for me because I could stop doing it. Like, you could have stopped at any time. You didn't have to do yeah. it. But it's always some external forces, never on him. So that that way later he's able to say to anyone who asks, "Oh, look, I wanted to keep going, but there was this this factor led to me having to stop. Uh, it was beyond my control." Mm. And uh, collecting, I think, is control and collecting have an interesting relationship because you're in control of what you buy and how you show it and everything, but you're out of control because you can't help but buy these things. Um, and for him, it, it just took these external issues to to get him to stop at any time. Yeah, I, I think it's addiction is an odd thing, right? Because I think that there is a gene that they can see in you, which makes you um, susceptible to alcoholism. Mm. I, I think that's something that they found. And it, it would be curious to know, is there like, is there a marker that shows that you can get addicted to things because i think you often see people they give up drinking they give up smoking and then they go into something else it's never mm. i'm gonna stop this and that's it it's always i'm i'm replacing this addiction with something else mm. and which as you said he, he stopped the batman and then he started doing films and then the whole thought process with the films was interesting because it wasn't like um Oh no, I really enjoy this and the creativity and blah blah blah. It's just like, well, you know, telling people I collect Batman stuff, you know, people might look at you and think you're weird. But to say I'm a filmmaker, like they might think I'm making Hollywood films. And like, no, they're not gonna think you make Hollywood films. But that it was this thing that he's telling himself that, oh, if I tell people this, I get more recognition. And his films were interesting too. I mean, there, there was, they were unrelated to the collecting and, and addiction, but there were things in the film that just made you think that, because he wrote and directed all these films, um, and there were just pieces of himself in them. They were, they were also about all sorts of different things, like a couple of them were about serial killers, and there was one that was a sci-fi movie about a car. Um, there was a Red Riding Hood take. Like, he put a lot of effort and he spent a lot of money on them. Mm. But they didn't seem to reflect who he was. And I just, I'd, I'd watch them and wonder why he would make some of the choices he made. But I think that, um, yeah, underneath them, there were sort of hints at that, at what he was trying to do. And I, I think, as you say, he, he wanted the prestige of, I make films and that's who I am now. I don't, the Batman stuff's gone. I'm now into films and that's who I'm going to be. And he, the technical side of it was quite, a high standard and he would do all these special features like he'd make these short films burn them onto a disc but with all these special features and and commentaries and and stuff like this and that was all really professionally done and you'd have making of little documentaries about the making of these films that would go for longer than the film <laughs> and it was a strange thing i just thought surely you're just sort of making your films and chucking them online but no, he was going to this extra effort. That this that said to me that yeah, what what he cared about was the prestige and identity of I make films now. Forget the Batman stuff. I make films. Let's just not talk about Batman. Mm. And then he would, but he would still talk about Batman. He had the website where he would he documented it all. So 
yeah, it was a it was a strange relationship he had with it and continues to have with it. Um, because now he's he's doing podcasts and stuff to talk about my movie, and he's very happy to talk about it all. Um, and it's it's sort of taken him to new places with his collection and who he was. Yeah, like with these films, it was interesting some of the clips that you pulled out because some of the things that were getting said felt like it was a commentary on mm. his, you know what I mean, addiction, as it were. Like mm. some of the, like there was a bit where a woman, she's just like, oh, well, you think you're this thing, but, you know, deep down inside, you're something else, really, mm. aren't you? And you're just like, whoa, <laughs> that really feels like it's on the nose right there. But mm. it, it seemed oblivious to him. And you're just like, huh. You know what I mean? Like, is, is he commentating on himself without understanding he's commentating on himself? I think so. I think that he had to have been aware of what he was doing there. There had to be, on some level, he knew that it, it was almost like a confession. Um, this is how I see it. And he'd never, he, when we started talking to him about the, the collection and collecting, he would liken it to addiction. And a lot of what he was saying was the language of addiction. Uh and I do feel like the conscious choice he made early in life to not drink or smoke must meant that he identified something in himself that he knew that if it, if he did started doing that, he might never stop. Mm, uh, yeah. He must have known he had an addictive personality for whatever reason. Um, so good on him for being able to identify that and do something about it, but not to the point where no, he did something about it, but not enough to stop himself from buying <laughs> Batman stuff for seven years. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because he, he made decisions that weren't too detrimental to his life. Mm. But he still made these weird decisions. But then when you look at it all, you know, in the wash, he's met someone who's happy with, mm. right? He, he's, he finally left the job. Because it was just like, oh, yeah, I work for this wine and I don't even drink. And it's just like, are you happy there? But he's eventually finally left. And it kind of seems that he's doing the things he really wants to do. Look at this, right? This is what he's doing these days. He, uh, We've been in touch since the film was completed because we've been doing um, sort of interviews and stuff for it. But he said to me not long ago, yeah, I got this uh, new job. I'm working in a collectibles shop. <laughs> no way, you're not. And he said, yeah, yeah, because the guy, and I think the guy who runs the shop, who's his friend, must think that it's like putting an ex-drug addict in charge of dealing. You know, you're not going <laughs> to put your hand in the till. Um, and that's what he does. He, he works at the collectible shop. He arranges all the stuff on the shelves. Um, I've been to the shop. I've, I've visited the shop with him. He arranges all the stuff on the shelves. He sells it. He's never tempted to get any of it himself. He just says, I, I love to be able to, to help people with air collections. I love to be able to speak from experience, but never does it tempt me to get into it um, myself. I, maybe, maybe, right? He listened to Tony Montana. <laughs> you know what I mean? You never get high on your own supply, son. Right? That, that's, that's the thing. He's just like, okay, right? I saw how Scarface turned out. I'm not going down that road. What I like too is that he he's boxed his Batman stuff up. That's all secure in the shed. But the records that he collected, the sci-fi 
soundtrack records. They're for sale in this shop. He brought them in and he's he's selling them off through that shop. Huh. Um, it's it's there are layers there that haven't really started to be unpacked. Uh, the idea of him working in this shop, but he does talk collectibles on his podcast with the guy who runs the shop each week. He's he's still immersed in it. He's just never been able to get away from it. In that he's his best friends the bat, the other Batman collector. His partner she collects. Um, stuff herself and and was sort of a closet uh she was a closet sci-fi fan until she met him she said i was in these other relationships where people would call me an idiot for liking this this sort of geek culture stuff and then i met him i met darren and i just was able to be myself he's surrounded by people who are doing whatever it takes to be themselves but i don't think he was doing it himself he was uh, i still wonder who he is at times, I think, well, who, who truly is he? Mm. Uh, when the cameras are off and he's not having to perform, um, not sure if he's ever been able to be himself. The, yeah, because I, I think, you know, where I said, like, he'd make these mean kind of comments to MPS and Linda, he did, like, he did do that, but it also still seemed that he does care for them so it's this weird situation mm. where he he's trying to cling on to this identity right and he will like with the whole mentality of oh yeah if i'm in a toy shop i used to think to myself yeah kid open it up because it <laughs> makes my stuff more valuable so it's just like he will say things to try and devalue other people's identity to inflate his but then he still cares for these people because it's as I said, it's his family so it's this weird thing going on where he likes them but he's still trying to you know stay above everyone and it's yeah. you you wonder what what was the thing that What's the origin story? You know what I mean? It's like we, we saw how Magneto became Magneto, but how did Darren become friggin' Dags? As yeah. Were? Well, that's uh, he would give us hints about it too. He'd say, oh, I don't talk much about my early life. And he, he sort of alluded to the fact he had, I think he was an only child. Um, I don't know. He, he said he, was, he wasn't very well off when he was a child. And I think that that, it would come from sort of a, we didn't have much money, so whatever we had, we'd really value. Um, but then when he got a job and he had disposable income, it dis- even the term disposable income, I mean, it's what it, it really that disposable. Like it's you, you've worked hard, you've earned that money. It's what you need to live, really. Yeah. How much of it can you dispose on on like a Batman towel? You know? Like. That's where his his uh, priorities were, though, and um, it, it it yeah. It, did the origin was the origin the Batman collecting, or did it start sort of earlier than that, and everything else that went into his psyche that that led him to do it in the first place? I don't know how much the collecting, the time collecting, developed that Dag's persona because he he's named Darren, but in the collecting. Um, universities known as dags and he calls himself that everyone seems to call him that even in that uh 
Phantom Menace documentary from 2000. They were all calling him that. Um, to me, that was a reflection of Batman, where there's the Bruce Wayne Batman kind of thing. There's Darren and Dags. And Darren was leading a normal life and having a job and having a partner and doing his Star Wars stuff. And Dags was the real fanatic the real fan who's just going to organizing all the festivals and doing the, some of the cosplay sometimes and buying all the stuff. They seem like two different people. Darren made the films, but Dags did all the fan stuff. Mm. Yeah. I kind of also felt that he gave himself the nickname, right? Because he's like, other people gave you the nickname, but I kind of think it's just like, oh, you gave yourself the nickname. It could right? have been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I think that people like that do sort of just, and he's he's guilty of doing it in other instances, just building that mythology, building his own mythology. Um, yeah, you do wonder if, if the nickname was a part of that. But hmm. it's always building something to to have at the end. Like he built the collection up from from nothing to the point where it was it wasn't just the the individual items; it was the collection on its own. And that's to the point where. Even now, he says, I would sell it, but it would have to be everything at once. Yeah. So it's it's gone from being just a few items or all these items. or He doesn't even see them as individual items. He, he just sees it as this one entity. Um, and I think that's that's interesting as well. Yeah. Did he give you a price? I For years, I said to him, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Because I've got an idea of what I think it'd be worth, knowing that what some of these items individually are worth. At Christmas, last Christmas, he did finally say, here's what I think I want to get for it. And that was a five-figure sum. I think it was, I don't think it was over 30 grand. But I don't know. I mean, he might get lucky. Um, I've always said to him, maybe this film will get him the um, exposure he needs to finally, to finally sell it. But... I wonder what, if he would. I wonder if it finally came down to it and someone had the money in his face, would he actually do it? Mm. Yeah, because you kind of feel that if he really wanted to sell it, and the fact that it's not in the house anymore, right? So if he really wanted, he'd just give it to MPS because he says he wants it. So mm. it's just like, okay, well, I know you. So mm. just give me this now and give me the rest, you know, at this point. But he hasn't done that. So it's just like, is it because he he can't? Or is it that he doesn't want MPS to have this huge collection? Now he's the Batman man. Like, mm. what is the thing there? I think it could never go to someone he knew. I think that it would be too hard for him to have to deal with that feeling of, yeah, I did all that, I had all that, I built that up, and now he's got it. He just came in and got it. Because one thing he seemed to be quite resentful of was eBay. Like, we were talking about eBay a few times because he said, I've banned myself from eBay. I don't go on there mm. because it's just too tempting. But he also would say, you know, if you wanted to collect today, you could just get on eBay and buy it all straight away. And that seemed to him to be sort of... Uh, contemptible to to do that it wasn't it wasn't the real way of going out to the shops and looking for the stuff and and being on the hunt in the zone as he as he would call it um but maybe that's just what it is today maybe collecting has changed from 
from his time and and that it is okay just to get on eBay and buy the stuff. If you're just buying stuff that you actually want and eBay is selling it, what are you going to do? Yeah. You can't just wait till you find it in some op shop or whatever. Although that's what he did with the June stuff. Yes. You know well, mean? The, he was yeah. just like, I'll take everything. It wasn't like I went to this place and I went to that place. He was just like, just give me everything in here. So it's kind of like, again, it's that contradiction of like, oh, eBay's bad because you just do this. But that's what you did. Mm. <laughs> but then I suppose you could say, well, he's speaking from experience. But is he aware of that? I don't know. He, I said to him with, the, with June, I mean, he, the first movie came out and he said he hated the film. Then he read the book. Then he watched the film again and it, it clicked for him. And he ordered every bit of June... 80s merchandise there ever was from a catalogue and it all showed up at once and he's still got it he's still that's in his house that's not hidden behind a door that's just right there and you can see it all it's on one shelf but it is there mm. and i said to him when the new film's out are you going to get back into it he said no why <laughs> why not like really well if he loved the book because but and that's an interesting one that he saw the film hated it read the book loved the book Watched the film again and it made sense because mm. the film doesn't follow the book to a point. It it, it follows and then it just goes mm. <laughs> and, and it becomes this weird thing. So it's just I, I that's interesting, the fact that the book made him love the film. Because I would have thought it's the you know, when you talk to people about that film, a lot of times it's the other way around. It's just like love the book hate the film mm. and this the new oh my god denny villeneuve killed it with the new film the film is great so he's curious that yeah he doesn't want to go to that well i asked him about that film um and he said for everything it did right it did like two things wrong so i don't know it's sort of you have to take both films oh, okay well that's that's what you want to think about it, but it wasn't. It didn't do enough right to get him back on the merchandise train. It, it did two things wrong over everything else that was. Yeah, that's. I think a... he was particularly aggrieved that the Sting. I, I haven't seen it, but I think that the Sting character isn't in the new one, and he didn't seem to be happy about that. Oh no, but he Fade is in the second film. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Villeneuve has been talking about because when I watched it, I was a bit like. I kind of get it, right? You you introduce all of this stuff, and then in the second film, you can breathe. And also, they're doing a TV series about the Benny Gesserit, so that gives you scope to tell a lot of these bits that weren't in the first film. But he said that the second film, he's exploring the Harkonnens more, and oh. that's when Fade comes into it. And which, when you think about it, it does make sense because you know. At that point, they are starting to really turn the screws on Arrakis and all of that. So you get, you know, the the other the other cousin who um, Batista plays. He's then, you know, butchering people and all of this. So yeah, having a second film about Harkonnens makes sense. But I was just liking the first that... film because Fade isn't in it is a bit odd. I was just more surprised that how much Dune merch had come out from that 80s film. 
because he's got quite a lot of stuff um, on his shelf. You know, I just thought, like, the toys of it. I thought it wasn't really a film that it's a bit like Robocop too. Where is it a film that was really for kids? Is it a film kids are going to see and then want to play with the toys of? Yeah. I yeah I didn't know there was any toys at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I knew that I think Marvel did a comic book adaptation, but yeah I didn't. I think I saw a puzzle once, but that was kind of it. I didn't I didn't remember them there being this whole big push. And even with the new film, I can't think of seeing anything. No, I don't think they've picked up the slack with that. And I think that they, they're they much better now than they were at, at focused marketing and knowing demographics. I think before they would spread it a bit thin, there'd be, you know, like Rambo animated series. And you think, well, yeah, that's good, but it's not going to drive kids into the cinemas because they still can't see R-rated films. Now they're a bit better at doing that. Rambo cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a whole uh, series of these cartoons made from R-rated films that you think, what was the idea there? To, they, they couldn't see the films. Um, but I suppose that was when video was starting to happen, so maybe they just thought they could drive the rentals up and you know, parents who were a bit more negligent with their choices could just go, oh, yeah, you've been watching that Rambo cartoon, here you go. Yeah, who knows? But uh, they've gotten better at it, I think, and they, they, they Spider-Man, I think, has replaced Batman um, in terms of kids' merch. I think if mm. if a DAGS was to happen today, it would be more likely to be Spider-Man than Batman because that sort of inexpensive kids' stuff is more themed around Spider-Man now than, than Batman because you don't need an actor's face. No. So you don't need to get all that likeness signed off. You don't need to have someone generic. It doesn't quite match the film. You can just have Spider-Man doing whatever and it can be for anything at any time. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that that's definitely true. It's definitely true. So, when you were you know making this, uh, like at what point did the structure kind of coalesce for you, and you you were like, oh, this is how we need to tell this story. Yeah, it took a little while because what we found was as he would tell his story, and we. We were sort of driving the questions, but he was very good at driving his answers, shaping them in a certain way. And we'd go to edit and we'd find that we kept coming up with sort of his way of telling it. And we thought, no, we don't. It's not his story as told by us. It's our way of telling his story. And we had to mm. depart from his narrative and start to, to put a magnifying glass over it, find those contradictions and get the toys out and tell it that way because that wasn't what he was doing. And... Um, once we wrestled the narrative away from him and started to be able to show it our way, I think that's when it started to become, uh, that's when it took shape in the way that we wanted it to, in, the, in that we then could, we went out to pop culture conventions and festivals and we would go to collector's fairs and speak to other people and speak to cosplayers to get a different take on it, to see, because you, you can't walk around a, a convention talking about your collection or showing it off at all. Like you can walk around dressed as... Captain America, and that works. Um, that's how you. That's your identity there. Collecting as an identity doesn't work in the way that at least these conventions are huge now. Yeah. Um, bigger than they were back in his day. So yeah, as as an identity collector, doesn't really work anymore. Uh, so once we were able to start reflecting what he was saying through modern fandom, 
then it really took shape and became interesting. And, and when we're, we've got him and MPS and they're sort of um, creating their friction there about the two different ways they collect, things like that, that pushed him out of his comfort zone, that pushed him away from his own narrative. That's when it really uh, got interesting for us. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it gave those interesting parallels because he would say something and then you'd speak to a cosplayer that gave a completely different viewpoint on everything and you're just like yeah <laughs> i mean mm. like this is interesting this is crazy that he's not seeing these things that are then getting pointed out by everyone else right and it also there seemed more enjoyment right mm. when to the cosplayers, they were enjoying their experience. Where with him, it's just like, but I need this. Not I mm. love this. It's just I need this. Mm. And they're, they're the kind of interesting kind of dynamics that you know were coming up as, as the you know the story unfolded, as it were. Yeah, and we we did. I was struck by how relaxed and comfortable they all seemed with their collecting and they were all at peace with it. And he was this guy who'd still, who was still struggling um, to reconcile it all after so many years. Um, I wonder if he'll ever really come to terms with it. Mm. And when you, like, because you revisited it. So was that always the plan or did you, you know, in the editing room, you're like, ah, we need something else. Yeah, it was, we'd get to the end of what we had and think, yeah, there's more that we could push here. We could go back and give him a bit of time to think about what he's said there and go back and try for a little bit more. And you can't do it, um, you can't do it indefinitely. You can't just keep going back and expecting to find. Because a lot of the time we'd ask him things and he'd start to, he wouldn't answer the question. He'd just go on with his own thing and it would become very much uh, the same story again and again and again. Mm. And we played with that a bit with our editing as well. We'd, we'd sort of show the same story told a few different ways in, in, um, in a few different uh, moments in the film. But it was important to get him to, to push him on a few things to try and get him to flesh out certain points. I think we did get there in the end. Yeah, no, no. I, I really do think that you tell a very compelling story. It's an odd one because, as I said, it, it's not that I would go out and be like, oh, yeah, let me watch a documentary about a Batman collector. Mm. But you watch the documentary and it's just like, oh, this is so much more than about a Batman collector. And it just gets, you know, it, it's just, yeah, you're, you're turning the pages of this book and the story is getting more and more engrossing. You're like, how the fuck is this going to end? Like, <laughs> what's going to happen here? You know, and, and yeah, it's this fascinating thing. Well, it's sort of, it's still ongoing. Um, I don't know, until he gets rid of it, it'll never really end. Um, I hate to do this to you, Kevin, but I've got to step out to, I've got another one I've got to do. Um, but it's oh, been yeah, great no, to speak to you. Yeah, no worries, man. Uh, I appreciate the time. Uh, so this comes out on the... This is out in North America on the uh, 8th of March um, on all the major uh, 
sort of on iTunes and it's on um, Google Play and it's on. I think we do. I, I can give you a list um, at some point if you like after after we're off. Yeah, and how can people follow you? Just before we um, so um, you can you can check out what's what's uh, the latest. And we're going to try and get it a bit more global. Uh, that's what we'll be doing next. But you can check that out at batmanandme.com. Splendid people, and definitely do it because it is a fascinating piece of work. So, um, Michael, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And yeah, I, I hope this is, uh, yeah, uh, you know, everything that you hope it to be. And I'm um, no, looking forward you. to see what you do next. Uh, thanks for your time, Kevin. It's been a great chat, and um, and uh, I hope to speak to you soon. All right, man. You take care. You Thanks, too. Bro. Catch you then. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay, so there you go. Right? How great was that? Michael, oh, man, really just got into it with us, which is fantastic. So, people, follow the links in the episode information. And, um, you know what I mean? Check it out, right? As I said, it drops on the 9th. So, um, yeah, on all your favorite VODs. But that's not all. We have something else. All right? So we will see you in part three. <laughs>